In the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful, and may God's peace and blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad wa ajjal farajahum. Brothers, sisters, respected viewers, assalamu alaikum jami'an wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh. And welcome once again to our life, the Islamic answer where we are still under the theme of knowledge and reason in Islam. We were discussing the attributes, the characteristics and traits of the teacher and the scholar in Islam. And not to give too too much of an extensive uh, recap, we highlighted a number of traits and characteristics, inshallah, those are clear. And then we started a new heading that we're still under, which has to do with the social dimension or the additional burden of being someone who carries knowledge. So we said that definitely when someone carries any amount of knowledge, and according to Islam and Islamic teachings, it means that that knowledge comes with a responsibility. And so therefore you have to act according to the knowledge that you have. When we say it this way, we're really focusing on the individual dimension. You owe it to yourself or the duty of knowledge by itself is that once you know it, you have to act according to the truth that you now know. But we said that there is clearly an additional duty, an additional responsibility to knowledge that whether you like it or not, whether you agree with this or not, for yourself to play that social role, you have an additional duty towards others because you carry knowledge. So it does not stop at yourself, regardless of whether you want to accept that you are now in a position of power or in a position of authority because of the knowledge you carry, regardless of how you want to view it, regardless of how you want others to view you, that you are worthy or not, that you want to accept or not this role, that's it. The moment you carry the knowledge, there is an individual dimension to it that you are now responsible, you have a duty towards that knowledge. And on top of that, there is also a social dimension to it that you're responsible towards others for the knowledge that you carry. And so the ahadith, the narrations that we have been looking at, they emphasize this dimension, even though the other dimensions are still clear. We still see that in the narrations, it's important that someone who carries knowledge, someone who's a scholar, someone who's a teacher, is going to be someone who uses this knowledge to gain greater attachment and proximity to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not to become more and more attached to this world for instance, or that this knowledge leads to more humility within yourself, towards others, and before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So there's a spiritual dimension, there's a social dimension to this. That is all there and it's present. But in addition, there's a social dimension. And this is why we saw the the ahadith, the narrations, the reports emphasize that there is much more reward for the same act, much more reward and much more punishment once you carry knowledge. If you act according to the knowledge, then there is much more reward than the normal person, the person who does not have the knowledge you have. And there is also much more punishment 
if you act in an opposite way, in a contradictory way to the knowledge that you have, than the normal person who doesn't have that knowledge. Both sides, and that's just fair. And we said our whole religion is built this way. So that when you have any sort of power, any sort of distinction, the power that this gives you is going to be equated to, is going to be equal to the merits that you get, the distinctions that you get, the reward and the punishment that you get. Everything is in full balance. Everything is in full fairness. So some of the, um, perhaps very quickly, some of the, the ideas that we've covered until now, that, for instance, scholars and rulers have additional duties. And we saw in other narrations that scholars and people who have wealth have additional duties. And so here, we can see clearly that Islam is saying those who have a distinction, those who have an additional power in society, whether it be political or material or based on knowledge, if you have an additional power in society, this comes with an additional duty, with an additional responsibility. The And we spoke at length, so I'm, I'm not going back to why, for instance, our religion emphasizes on rulers and the political dimension. We saw how in our religion, for instance, the person who knows many more of their their uh, their sins uh, are not going to be accepted as easy uh, forgiven as easily as the person who does not know the person who does not know as we saw 70 sins of theirs are going to be forgiven before a single sin is forgiven to the scholar okay and we saw the longer uh, hadith from imam al-sadiq salam when he talks about this relationship between uh, you know, world knowledge leading to fear and the fear leading to knowledge. Fear meaning fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, taqwa and wara' uh, and so on and so forth. We saw, for instance, how um, the narrations say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will remove the sweetness of worshipping him or the sweetness of having an intimate relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the heart of the scholar who is attached to this world and and the hadith said this is going to be the smallest punishment I have for them that they no longer feel that there's a sweetness or there's a pleasure or there's a satisfaction that you get from directly talking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so your worship becomes dry we continued the last time we met with the narration, and we spent a bit of time on this from Imam al-Sadiq if I remember, in which he not only emphasized the role of the scholars, but he emphasized the role of his followers. And this is where we saw that there is a different standard, according to our imams, for being their followers. It's not sufficient to be mediocre. It's not sufficient to be average. It's not enough just to pray. The imam wants your prayer to be perfect and your ruku' and your sujood, he said in the prayer, to be perfect. And this, as we said, this is an example of everything else. And the people that the imam is talking to, they fall in two categories, two labels apply to them. The first is that they are supposed to be his followers. They're supposed to be his shia. The second one is that clearly those are people of knowledge because the imam talks about knowledge. 
So we can imagine the context. If the imam is talking about knowledge, it's because he has people of knowledge that he is talking to, just not just random people. This is not the person, you know, this is not your butcher or, or uh, I don't know, the, the, the average person sitting there listening to the imam. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense for the imam to emphasize on knowledge in this manner. Clearly, the imam is talking to scholars. So those two categories means, when the imam talks to them in this way, means that they come with an additional duty. We are focused right now, the heading we're focused on is the additional duty of the scholar and of the teacher. But we can't ignore the other one that the imam talked about here. When he tells his followers that, I swear to you that our wilaya, the imam says, right? I Truly, our wilaya cannot be achieved. You cannot call yourself a wali, one of our followers, one of our Shia. You can't call yourself one of those unless you achieve that through wara', the imam said. Fear of God. You have to show it in your worship. And you cannot achieve the reward of Allah, he said in that hadith. You cannot achieve what is with God, the reward of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, heaven. You cannot achieve that except through action. And so the imam here is talking about to people who are supposed to be his followers. Do not think that just because you claim to be my follower that Allah will give you the reward. That's what the imam is saying. You will only achieve it through your action. You will only achieve the rank of being our follower, not with empty talk, but through your wara'. That's what shows to yourself, to God, to the imams. That's what shows your fellowship to the imam, your wilaya to the imam. Wara'. It's very mathematical, black and white that the imam is talking about. There's no ambiguity here. Okay, so inshallah, all of that was clear. We saw a number of ahadith, and today we're going to continue with those we said this is a very powerful image. This theme that keeps coming back in the ahadith and the ruwayat of shame and regret. The day of the afterlife, the day of resurrection, the afterlife is a place of regret and shame. And no one is going to have more regret and more shame than those who taught others, described good to others, prescribed good to others, and then they did not follow their own advice. We saw a number of ahadith in this line. Okay, and so of course this is going to apply, as we said, directly to someone who's a teacher, to someone who's a scholar, 100%. That's what comes to mind first. But we said let's not forget that we, we all of us are going to fall under these ahadith. All of us we try to describe the good. All of us we try to prescribe the good. Each at our own level. And we said the smallest example of this is within our families. We all have siblings. We all have people we influence. We will inshallah all be parents. You don't think that you're influencing others? You're not teaching others what is good and what is bad, what is right, what is wrong? And that applies. The moment you fall in this category, the imam is saying, no one is going to have more shame and no one is going to have more regret than someone who describes the good or prescribes the good, who says do. It's not only that this is good, it's you should do this because it's good. I'm prescribing it. Someone who prescribes the good, and then they don't follow it. This applies to everyone, maybe not to the same extent, but it applies to all of us. We know the truth, we try to influence people towards the truth. 
And this cannot mean, therefore, that I say, well, it's better for me not to describe the truth to anyone or to prescribe it and try to tell anyone. That's, not the, that, that's even worse now. This is not a call to stop preaching what is good, to, start, to stop bringing the truth to people. This is absolutely not what this is saying. It's saying the opposite. It's, you have to do that, and therefore this should be a, an additional driver, an additional incentive and motivation for you to remember. Don't be of those who are going to describe the good but do something different. Because you are going to end up being of those who are going to feel the greatest regret and the greatest sorrow and hardship and heartbreak. We saw the different hadith related to all of this. We saw how Imam Ali السلام, in one of the ahadith was saying, there are two who never have enough in this world. Those who seek this world and those who seek knowledge. And again, there is so much that we can say here. And then in the same hadith, the Imam was saying, and the cause of all problems, the cause of all evil, of all issues in this world is two things. Following desires and extending, lengthening your hopes in this world. And those are connected. And to me, the perhaps the most relevant part of this is not in the absolute sense how true this is. It's how much it applies to today's world. Where everything in today's world is pushing you towards these specific things that the Imam is talking about. He's saying the root of all problems is two things. That you follow your desires blindly. One. So basically you have lost your humanity. You are now a slave to your desires. You don't think. You have no discipline. You have no control. So you follow desires. Wherever the desire is, that's where you go. Which is exactly what we hear in today's culture. Whatever makes you happy. Whatever you feel like doing, you just do. That's the only criteria. There's no other criteria beyond it. That's what can dictate your whole behavior in this world. Does it make you happy? You do it. No. We believe in truth. We believe in duty. We believe in values. Does this match? It might not make me super happy to wake up in the morning when everyone is asleep and when I slept late and wake up in the morning to perform my prayer. Or when it's hot and the day is long, I don't really feel like fasting for 16 hours. That doesn't necessarily make me happy. Unless I have maybe a much deeper understanding and then I really enjoy the more spiritual aspect of it. And the, But at a certain level, at a biological, material level, no one is going to enjoy that. This is hardship. You're going to be thirsty, you're going to have a headache, you're going to be tired all day. You just do whatever you feel like because it brings you happiness and what doesn't you don't do. So therefore you are following blindly. And we said the end result, if you apply it to very simple things, we may not see where the problem is. It's how far are you going to go beyond these desires? There are people who will go very far. So the Imam says the root of all the evils that you see, all the problems that you see is blindly following wherever your desire leads you. You don't think... Desire is going this way, I go behind it. That's one. And two, the way the Imam says it, we may not fully understand. He says that in making your hope longer than it should be. 
Your hope as in how long you think you're going to live in this world. And in today's world, everything is done in a way as though you will live forever. There is no end. There is no afterlife. So in another way to put this, the Imam is saying forgetting death. Forgetting that you are inevitably going to die. It may be la Allah tomorrow and it may be in a hundred years. You're going to die though. There's an eternal life after this one awaiting you. So what are you doing about it? So if you live your life without any concern for what's waiting after life, then clearly your hopes in this world are very long. Longer than they should be. That's what the Imam says. You know, prolonging, extending, lengthening your hopes. It's okay to have a certain hope, to plan, to know that you are in this world and so long as you are here, there's a certain way to behave. But not to live in a way that there is no afterlife. There is no eternity waiting the 40, 60, 80, 200 years you may spend in this world. No matter how long it is, there's a much longer time we're spending in the afterlife. So the Imam says this is the other problem. The more you realize what's waiting and how long and how intense it is in that other dimension, the more you're going to realize that perhaps there's another way to live your life in this world. Not to neglect it. And we already saw all the hadith, a number of them related to how we're going to look at the world and so on and so forth. We're coming back as a whole theme to this inshallah later. Okay, so this is where we ended I think last time. So inshallah today we continue building on this. So still under that same heading. In this first hadith from the Holy Prophet this is part of a much longer wasiyah, very lengthy piece of advice that the Holy Prophet gives to Abu Dhar. One day inshallah we can go through the whole thing. In this part, the Holy Prophet says, Ya Abu Dhar, يَطَّلِعُ قَوْمٌ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْجَنَّةِ عَلَىٰ قَوْمٍ مِنْ أَهْلِ النَّارِ فَيَقُولُونَ مَا أَدْخَلَكُمُ النَّارِ وَقَدْ دَخَلْنَا الْجَنَّةَ بِتَأْدِيبِكُمْ وَتَعْلِيمِكُمْ The Holy Prophet tells Abu Dhar, O Abu Dhar, there will be people in paradise who will see people in hell. So they will ask them, How did you end up in hellfire when we were only able to enter paradise as a result of your educating us, of your training us, of your, the way he says it, you could even say your upbringing, the knowledge you shared, the training you gave us. That's the only reason we made it to paradise. We followed your advice. We were good students of yours. How come you're in hell and we're in heaven? So the Holy Prophet says, We used to be of those who order others, command others to do good, but we would not do it ourselves. Okay, so in the same line, the same vein as what we've been talking about. The next hadith. Here, again, in case it's not clear, we try to build on it. Now let's focus on those who, like me now, sitting and speaking publicly. Lecturing. We think we came up with this term now, to be a lecturer. Right? To be a khatib. Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi says, Laylata usriya bi ila samaa. 
رأيت جماعة تقرض شفاههم بمقاريض النار كلما قرضت وفت فقلت يا جبرائيل من هؤلاء قال هؤلاء خطباء أمتك يقولون ما لا يفعلون ويأمرون الناس بالبر وينسون أنفسهم So the Holy Prophet says The night I journeyed There are reports perhaps that these are the times when in the year when the the journey happened, the Isra and Mi'raj happened, although we think they are two separate times, we're, we're going through the Mab'ath right now, the end of Shahar Rajab, 27 Rajab, 27th of Rajab is the event of the Mab'ath, the beginning of the revelation of the mission of the Holy Prophet ﷺ, which is a distinct event than Isra and Mi'raj, but sometimes they are combined, especially in the Sunni school, they're combined together as though they happened at the same time, when they clearly didn't, in any case. So the Holy Prophet says, the night I journeyed into the heavens, I saw people whose lips were being clipped by, by clippers or by scissors made of fire. So every time these lips would be clipped, they would grow again. So I asked Jibra'il, the Holy Prophet says, when I saw this, I asked Jibra'il salam, who are these people? He said, these are the lecturers of your nation. Why? These are the lecturers of your nation. They say that which they do not do. And they command the people to do good, but they forget themselves. Okay, so again, I think the theme is very clear. The only thing maybe we add here is there's a whole discussion and we leave it to other times. There's a whole discussion among the scholars, among the thinkers. What does it really mean, the significance of these ruwayat that the Holy Prophet saw while he performed his journey, his night journey, al-Isra wal maraj He saw all of these things. Is this supposed to be more metaphorical? Did he really see this? Or is this more symbolic of, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, this piece of advice and what it represents is very clear. The Holy Prophet ﷺ is describing something that we all recognize. There are people in positions of speaking and lecturing and people who listen to them. No matter how we spin it, clearly there is an additional punishment, a special punishment to those people in the afterlife if they don't follow their own advice. If they command people something and they do the opposite and they forget themselves as the hadith said. And as we said, perhaps the first thing that comes to mind is others. Of course, this hadith is directly talking about lecturers, people who are in a public or social role that they perform the duty, the mission, the mandate of lecturing. But this could apply to all of us. The theme is the same. We all are going to carry a certain amount of knowledge and we will all try to influence others with that knowledge. And that part is desirable. That's exactly what we need to be doing. The issue is, we it cannot stop there. It cannot stop at, I have tried to influence people with my words and then I go and I do things that are contrary or opposite to what I'm trying to teach others and how I'm trying to influence them. And this is going to be all, I think, coming together in this next hadith from Imam Ali salam. I left it at the end of this section. Well-known hadith of Imam Ali salam. In fact, we could take this hadith and spend many, many lectures on it and build an entire uh, 
theory of leadership, an entire theory of education with this one small hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam, if we wanted to. And I think it brings a lot of this together. So Imam Ali alayhi salam, he says, مَنْ نَصَبَ نَفْسَهُ لِلنَّاسِ إِمَامًا فَعَلَيْهِ أَنْ يَبْدَأَ بِتَعْلِيمِ نَفْسِهِ قَبْلَ تَعْلِيمِ غَيْرِهِ وَلْيَكُنْ تَأْدِيبُهُ بِسِيرَتِهِ قَبْلَ تَأْدِيبِهِ بِلِسَانِهِ وَمُعَلِّمُ نَفْسِهِ وَمُؤَدِّبُهَا أَحَقُّ بِالْإِجْلَالِ مِنْ مُعَلِّمِ النَّاسِ وَمُؤَدِّبِهِمْ So Imam Ali alayhi salam says, there's a few pieces here. Each part is a, is a whole huge discussion. Okay, we're not going to get into it. The first one, whoever places himself as a leader of the people. Imam Ali is saying, someone who puts himself in a position, basically telling people, I am a leader in whatever field. I'm a leader here. That's it. The Imam is going to now give us a theory of leadership. How do we recognize the true leader? Okay, the Imam says, whoever places himself as a leader of the people should begin with educating his own self before educating others. You have to have the goods before you try to influence people with the goods that you're supposed to have. Whatever it may be. You have to have the qualification, the competence, the knowledge, the whatever it is that I'm teaching others. I have to know it. I have to have it demonstrated. Okay? Should begin with educating his own self. So clearly the imam is now talking about the importance of the self before others. Before I start being preoccupied by others, I have to worry about myself. That's from my own angle. And from a social angle, if I'm studying my society, my community, then I also know now, I have a criteria now of what does leadership look like. But from my own angle, me, just me as a person worried about my own life, so before I even want to become a leader in my family, in my community, in my society, start with yourself before educating others. One. And then the Imam says, and his teaching should be by his own conduct. Before teaching by the tongue, before teaching with words. So now we have the second part. The Imam is now saying, if you want to influence people, the main way to influence people, to educate people so that they learn, is it by lecturing? Is it by talking? No. The Imam says with conduct. You have to teach by conduct. And then you can add the words. Your conduct means much more. Talk is cheap. Talk is easy. Imam Hussain says it's on every tip. Of, of a tongue in, in one of his khutab before Karbala. He says the religion is on the tip of every tongue. It could sometimes mean that it's even a sweet thing, you know, just like you use the tip of your tongue to taste honey, for instance. That's the additional meaning. Imam Hussain saying everybody has religion on their tongue, everybody is, is using religion the truths from religion, the, it means nothing. It has to show in their conduct. And in their conduct, it's not there. Talk is cheap. So the imam is saying, you want to teach? 
You want to influence society, you want to influence the community, you want to influence your children. Don't start with words. Start with conduct. That's how you're going to teach. That's how education happens. Conduct first, words second. Okay? So, وَلْيَكُنْ تَأْدِيبُهُ بِسِيرَتِهِ قَبْلَ تَأْدِيبِهِ And then, and the person who teaches and trains his own self is much more worthy of esteem and respect than the person who is teaching and training others. This is a, a big one. It takes a while to fully digest. This is the criteria through which you assess. The true assessment is not how influential you are to others. The true criteria is how well have you trained your own self. This is much more worthy of respect and value, the Imam says. You want to hold someone in high esteem and high regard? That's the criteria. How well have they disciplined themselves? How well have they trained themselves? Before you look at their influence to others, it's important to try to influence others. It's not without merit. The Imam is not saying it's worthless. It's saying, The true criteria, it has much more worth and much more merit that you have trained yourself. You have worked on yourself. Okay? So, if you want to go back, if you want to read the commentaries on this, this is in Nahj al-Balagha. We've said the end part of Nahj al-Balagha is made of short sayings. Imam Ali alayhi salam, this is number 173. So the quick points from this. The first one is that, and we've talked about this, and we saw it in, in one of the letters of Imam Ali alayhi salam, apparently sent to one of his sons, when he says that I am more concerned about myself and I... I basically have no concern for anyone else except myself. But the only reason I'm going to give you advice, he tells his son, is that you are a part of me, or you are all of me. So because I'm concerned with myself, then I'm going to bother to give you advice. This is Imam Ali salam talking. There's a huge lesson in this for us. A lot of us have an energy that is outward focused. We're constantly thinking about others, worried, as though, you know, they, they become something that sucks a lot of energy, a lot of time, a lot of effort. So let's go to someone like Imam Ali salam. Where is his energy? We would think, I think you and I would say, the Imam is concerned with guiding everyone. No, that's the key. The Imam says, I'm not worried about anyone. He has an additional duty, a secondary role that he has to play, which is to guide people. So he performs that role. But that's not his main preoccupation. His preoccupation is himself. How far am I getting? How much am I moving in my own mission? I'm focused on myself. This is Imam Ali salam talking. This is why he is Imam Ali. I'm worried about myself and I wouldn't even bother giving you advice, my son. But you are my son. And so you are a part of me. Nay, you are all of me. And so whatever harms you, harms me. Hurts you, hurts me. So I have to give you advice. Of course, the Imam could say, in another letter he would say, and he does say it. If God had not taken 
taking it as a duty upon those to whom he has given knowledge. Right? And he continues. So he's saying, because I have knowledge, there's a duty upon me to teach you and to lead you. In another sermon, in Shaqshaqiyya. We're going to come to it, inshallah. So it's not that he doesn't recognize that role, but he's saying the main role and your main preoccupation, the moment you're on this path of knowledge, if you're serious about knowledge, your main preoccupation is yourself. And you will see there's a lot of distractions. Your energy is constantly being sucked left and right. If you understand knowledge, then you understand that this is about yourself and how far you can take it, which means you're focused on yourself. Everything else is secondary to that. And it makes sense from the hadith itself. If you haven't worked enough on yourself, how are you going to guide others and help others? It's not just by raw wishes or law love. I love my children. They're definitely going to be guided automatically. No. Work on yourself. Work on your conduct. Work on acquiring knowledge and training yourself. And this by itself is going to take you a very long way in how you're going to educate your children. This is not empty wishes. Now you've put in the work. And the work is on yourself first. It's on discipline and training. Very clearly. If you believe in the words of Imam Ali So that's the first part. So clearly, the point I want to say here is, this is not out of selfishness. No one should turn this into saying, for therefore it's a very selfish attitude. This is a very superficial understanding of it to say it's selfish. This is out of true sincerity, truly understanding of our mission in this world. Why do I exist in this world? What am I supposed to do? Is it to be concerned about every other type of existence, instance of existence? No, it's about myself. Okay, so that's the first point. The, the second point is that the Imam is giving us a very clear definition or criteria of true scholarship which is what which is that it shows in your conduct that's a true criteria and we've been emphasizing this from the beginning of the series it's not about the megabytes of information and data that you can memorize and repeat that's good that's the superficial layer of scholarship it's how does this affect you spiritually and this only shows in your conduct. Otherwise, if it doesn't translate, if it doesn't become something concrete, there's something broken in that chain. It's just an accumulation of data. It doesn't do anything. And so this is the criteria that the Imam is giving in multiple places in this short hadith. The criteria is conduct. That's two. Three, and I think that was the whole education theory. Inshallah, this part is clear. And it would require lengthy discussions on what what does an education theory, an Islamic education theory look like? If we wanted to establish an education theory based on Islamic teachings, what does it look like? Well, we have principles here that the Imam is laying for us. And he's saying you start by educating yourself before you educate others. And you start educating by conduct before you educate by words. That's it. You already have the foundations here. The last point is, this is the dimension that we've been talking about. This is therefore the conclusion. From all of this, our theme from all of this was that there's a social dimension. Whether you accept it or not, 
whether you want to take that on as an additional responsibility or not, it's there. If I understand what the imam is saying, therefore I understand that people are looking at me. This is a social dimension. They're looking at my conduct. They're not listening only to my words. They're looking at my conduct. This is a social dimension. Who is this person? What do they represent? What do they symbolize? Based on that, I will have influence. And so this is a point that we've been making for, for a few weeks now. Whether you like it or not, when you're in a minority situation, in a community, in a society like ours here, whether you like it or not, people associate you with Islam. People may associate you with Ahlul Bayt. Whether you like it or not, by default, that's it. This is a reality. Are they going to come and give you an interview every time asking you with words what you believe in and what you think should be the appropriate, perfect conduct of a Muslim? No. They're going to look at how you behave. Your neighbor doesn't know you. They rely on how you behave with them. That's the image they make of you as one more clear instance of a Muslim. Yeah, I have a Muslim neighbor. They're good or they're bad. They're amazing or they're awful. As a neighbor, as a worker, as a student, as an employee, as a boss, it doesn't matter. You are a Muslim. You are a Shi'i. Remember the hadith of Imam Sadiq before? He's saying, I expect you to be the gold standard in everything. We're going to come back to this later in the series. No matter where I throw you, I want you to be the gold standard, the highest standard. You are the measure. Why? Because you want to be my follower, Imam Sadiq says. That's it. Because you want to be my follower, I expect you to be the gold standard. That's how you become my follower. Not with talk. That's what the Imam is saying. Unfortunately, this is sometimes... And it's unfortunate to have to say this. But this is a misconception. It's enough the person carries the love of Imam Ali in their heart. Okay? But Ahlul Bayt are clearly, repeatedly telling us there's a higher standard than that. That's good in itself. But that's not what gives you the ranks. That's not what gives you the title. This, does it, this is not what's going to put you in that category of their wilayah. So the Imam here, once again, he didn't go into all those details, but he's saying what matters is the conduct. That's the criteria for scholarship, and that's the criteria for a theory of education, and that's the criteria for leadership in general. Leadership is based on conduct. That's the criteria. Okay, so with this, we have wrapped up the topic of, or the heading of, the social dimension of knowledge. So I think we have time to start the next heading. This one is not going to be, inshallah, won't be too heavy and too long, but we're going to start it today and, and maybe a couple of a hadith today and then we'll continue next time, inshallah. This one I simply called moral traits. So some of you might say, but what have we been talking about except moral traits until now? The moral traits we've been talking about are a lot deeper, a lot more spiritual. 
They affect the soul. We're talking about God-fearing, wara', taqwa, and so on and so forth, detachment from this world. There's also moral traits that show in day-to-day behavior. And you can recognize them. Things people say, things people do. And we also have numerous ahadith related to this. Once you start carrying knowledge, or the scholar or the teacher that you want to look up to, there are certain types of behavior and conduct and etiquette and manners that should go with that. So we'll start with the more you know, psychological ones and we'll head to more and more concrete ones, inshallah, later. So these are going to include, I don't know if I listed all of them here, but a few of them are going to be foolishness, neglect and heedlessness, jealousy, arrogance, talking too much, revealing too much, and knowing what to share, what not to share, how to share it, and so on and so forth. These are are some of the themes that we're going to see quickly in these hadith. So a first hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam, he says, so this has to do with, let's call it nobility of character. Very interesting hadith, we could spend a long time on this. But very quickly, he says, إِذَا تَفَقَّهَ الرَّفِيعَ تَوَاضَعَ وَإِذَا تَفَقَّهَ الْوَضِيعُ تَرَفَّعَ So first, تَفَقَّه, we've said it a few times. When you see this word, it simply means to, uh, to go to the depth of, of something, knowledge. So to acquire a lot of knowledge, to become a technical expert in a field of knowledge, for instance. Okay? And now as a term, it's used in religion. So to acquire religious knowledge, to become an expert in religious knowledge. So Imam Ali is saying, if someone of noble character, he says the elevated man, someone who's of an elevated or noble, high character, when they acquire knowledge, when they become an expert, a technical expert, what happens to them? They lower themselves. They humble themselves. They become more modest. And the person who has someone who is lowly, of, of a low moral character, this person, the more they acquire knowledge or the more they become an expert in knowledge, what happens to them? They become arrogant. They act more superior. Already here, this is what we mean by the moral traits. It's the same knowledge. They're both acquiring the same knowledge. It's having a very different effect on them. And the Imam is talking first and foremost, this is a whole topic. Does it mean that you are born in a certain way and you're stuck because of your you know, genetic inheritance? That's, it. That's who you are. You are of an elevated or noble character or you are of a low you know, genetic character. Let's put it that way. And therefore, you know, you're stuck with this. No, that's not what it means. There is a portion, and you can't neglect that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created humanity this way. We all inherit some things genetically. There is, of course, a hereditary dimension to our personalities. And of course, there is a dimension that we control. Your character is made up of all of it together. One part of it is what you inherited genetically. That's there. You're stuck with that. One part of that is how are you brought up? 
from your family, from your community, from the society, everything that you were fed that all molds you and shapes you. And then what did you decide to do with all of this? All of that together makes you someone who has a, uh, has a more elevated and noble character or a low character. Imam Ali السلام, he says, the person who acquires knowledge, if they are of an elevated character, this is only going to make them more humble. And the person who is of, of a low character, the more they acquire knowledge, the more they become superior and arrogant. Okay, so as we said, this is the same, the same knowledge. Why? There's different ways to explain this. One of them, if we go to the nature of things, if you are as you're supposed to be, if you have no illnesses, let's put it that way, when you're confronted with something, you're going to act, the result, the outcome is going to be what it is supposed to be as an outcome. This is the natural outcome of something. You're healthy, you're good. When you taste something, you actually taste it as it's supposed to be. You have an illness, you have a problem right now, when you taste the same food, it tastes different. There's a distortion. The same food, your state is different. This applies to everything. The same situation applies to different people. One person comes out of it stronger because that's what it's supposed to do to you. And one person, it breaks them a lot more because there's something broken already. This applies to everything. When you are in the natural state, in the healthy state, in the state you're supposed to be in, when you're interfacing, when you're interacting with something, the outcome is what it's supposed to be. If it's in a diseased state, an unhealthy state, a problematic state, and you're confronted to a situation, most likely it's going to be a distorted outcome. This is one way to understand this. Knowledge is meant to, knowledge is supposed to make us more humble. We saw too many ahadith about this in the beginning. We saw how many ahadith telling us, go to the scholar who makes you more humble, not more arrogant. And knowledge is, that's one criteria to recognize a true scholar, that they are much more humble, much more modest. They don't have arrogance. They don't push people away. We saw too many ahadith about this. So that's supposed to be the natural outcome of knowledge. But in this case, this person has something that makes them vile or of a lowly character, of a low character, as Imam Ali says, the outcome is they're going to try to use that knowledge to become superior and to dominate, to become more arrogant. And this is one more time, one more example of what we've been talking about, a little bit more nuanced, but that knowledge is power. You can use knowledge as a form of power. And that's why you can dominate with knowledge. And so the person who is of a low character is going to use that power. Is going to use the fact that they have knowledge, they have information you don't have. They're going to use that to dominate, to be superior over you. That's the low character. The person who is of a higher character, that's not their point. They don't instrumentalize, they don't use knowledge in this 
worldly way. They don't use it as a power to dominate over others. And of course, here that that's the a link directly to the more spiritual dimension of knowledge. So inshallah, that part is clear. We've talked a lot about it. A reminder one more time that this is the truth. This is one more example, indirect, but one more example of our imams where they're saying that basically, therefore, the corollary of this is therefore knowledge is meant to be used on the self to become more humble, to become more modest, not to become more arrogant. Right? That's a corollary of this. Maybe a next hadith because it's related to this and or maybe two ahadith and then we'll stop. The next one from Imam Ali alayhi salam he says Abghadul ibadi ilallah ta'ala al-alimul mutajabbir The worst or the most hated or despised of the creatures to God is mutajabbir is you know, one way to put this, I'd say maybe tyrannical scholar. It's not just arrogant. Someone who is using that scholar or people recognize that this is someone who has knowledge. So they are associated someone who has a tyrannical or arrogant behavior and they are also recognized as being a symbol of knowledge. And we talked at length about this. There was this long hadith if you'll remember, I think from Imam Sadiq where he talked about the gates of hell or the layers of hell and how many of them have to do with the scholars and how many of them have to do with the arrogant scholars. Because they push people away from knowledge and truth and religion. Who wants to deal with any human being who is in that, who carries that type of behavior and moral traits? This arrogance or this tyrannical behavior. Tajabbur. Okay, so Imam Ali alayhi salam here is saying this is the most despised of people before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The next hadith related to this so that we end it with the theme, we don't cut it off. Imam Ali alayhi salam says, ulama One of the illnesses of scholars, of people who have knowledge, one of their illnesses is that they love positions of leadership. They love leadership. They love to lead. So this is this would require again perhaps a whole theory can be built around this. Why is this the case and what do we do with it and and so on and so forth. But to link it to what we've been talking about and if we want to there's a psychological dimension to this. This is just human nature. It's no different than the hadith that talk about people who have wealth. Does everybody who have wealth end up being a bad person? No. But it is human nature, so you're going to have to fight it extra hard. That you acquire more wealth and you do not become more selfish and you do not become more arrogant and you do not only care about yourself more and you remember others and so on and so forth. That's human nature. So unless you are prepared to do the work that comes with this, you're going to see so many ahadith telling you it's better not to go in that direction. Because there's going to be a lot of work. Religion is telling you, I'm warning you. I know your nature. I created you. I know your weaknesses. This is another example. Another example would be political power. Does every political ruler end up being bad? Of course not. 
you can do a lot more good by being a political ruler than being an ordinary person. Of course. But at the same time, human nature means that the moment you are in a situation where you have so much power and authority over others, it's going to affect you in a certain way. Are you ready to do the work on yourself to fight all of that and not fall into the normal, natural illness of that, that type of power? It's tough. It's difficult. So that's why we have so many ahadith that have this them, this constant warning about scholars. One of the themes around scholars is that they love leadership. They love positions of authority. Because it's a power. It's a form of power. Okay, so inshallah we'll, we'll continue to build on this. Again, it doesn't mean that every scholar wants this. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't therefore become a scholar or a teacher. It means that you have to be extra careful. That the more you go, you move in this direction, the more knowledge you acquire, that your guard is more up. Imam, Imam Sajjad talks about this. You'll remember, inshallah, one day we'll talk about this in, in Dua Makarim Al-Akhlaq. He talks about this. He asks Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, the more you elevate me with my worship and with my knowledge, the more you elevate me, I want you to put me down among the people in the sense of modesty and humility. Don't make me use my worship or my knowledge to become arrogant and to start feeling I'm better than others. And this becomes a whole theme in our religion. There's a, a part of it that's artificial. It's only superficial and external. It's how you behave. This doesn't necessarily reveal how you feel about others. And the Imam here is talking about how you feel in your heart about others. The Imam is asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not to make him feel like he is better than others. To focus on myself. When you focus on yourself, you see there's so much more to do. Regardless of how much you may know, if you focus on yourself, you're going to say, but I know nothing. You know yourself. But that's where we said the preoccupation of the true scholar is where? Himself. The energy is focused on the self. Training and disciplining the self, not others. If you start focusing on others, the trick would be, the hack would be, look at those who are better than you. But the human tendency is going to be, I am so much better than those who are behind. And the true behavior is supposed to be, I focus just on myself. And we have so many ahadith related to this, so inshallah we'll touch on some of this in the future. So let's stop here and inshallah we'll continue with some of the other moral traits that are expected of the teacher and the scholar in Islam. Questions, concerns, comments? All of them.
Imam Ali alayhi salam, he also gives advice to many other people. So it's clear that that's not exactly what he means here. At least I don't think. So what, what does he mean by these words? And how does that apply to us? How, how do we know when somebody um, you know, is, is part of us to use his words? Somebody that we could help or maybe we can't help. Okay, so I received a lot of comments that the questions are not heard. So I'll repeat the question very, very quickly. Um, when Imam Ali السلام, uh, writes in that letter attributed to the Imam, to his son, that I'm only preoccupied with you because you are my son and you are a part of me or you are all of me. Otherwise, I wouldn't be preoccupied with you. And on the other side, we see that Imam Ali السلام, also give advice to other people that are not his children, for instance. And then when we take all of that and apply it to ourselves, how do we apply that? When do we know when to be preoccupied and not with others and give advice and not to others? So in short, because that's a big topic, in short, your duty is to give advice and share truth and knowledge wherever and however you can and with everyone. Okay, But inshallah we're going to see that there's going to be some, some details provided in our religion so that this does not, one, become a waste of time or something that degrades the knowledge or that degrades you or that puts you in danger or so on and so forth. Okay, So there are some restrictions around it, but these are the exceptions. The general rule is that you're supposed to help others, you're supposed to be good, you're supposed to give advice and guidance to everyone and all the time as much as you can. That's the general principle. But do you do this because you are so concerned with others or do you do this because you're worried about yourself? And that's the key. If you are focused on others, this is where the relationship with, with yourself and with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala completely changes. You're supposed to be doing that because it helps you. Yes, ultimately this is going to help the other person. But it may or may not actually help them. You try to guide someone. You think that you're guiding someone. You're doing your best to guide someone. One person may accept. May, one person may reject. What does that change for you? Nothing. And the Quran is entirely based on, based on this. Constant reminder. It may be that you... There was a lack on your side, your means, your knowledge, your competence to affect someone. That's very likely, all of us. But in a lot of cases, it has nothing to do with you too. It's on the other side. The receiving end is not ready, not willing, not interested in being guided or learning, for instance. So do you stop? Well, according to the Quran, no. You have a duty. The duty is that you share the knowledge and you share the truth. But why are you doing that? Because you're concerned with yourself. That you want to act based on your duty. This is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants me to do. This is what I do. I share. At the end, who benefits? Why do I do this? So that who benefits what I'm, what I'm doing? I benefit. Yeah, but someone else might benefit. Great, good for them. I still will do it whether they benefit or not. My job is to share. My job is to teach. My job is to give the truth, to share the truth, to try to guide. And this is the whole theory. They see the Holy Quran and how the Holy Prophet exhausts himself to try to teach others and to guide others. The end result is what? The Quran tells the Holy Prophet, you are about to kill yourself or destroy yourself in trying to guide them. 
that they are not becoming believers. The Quran says, right? You're destroying yourself. You're killing yourself, literally. You're killing yourself that they are not becoming believers. But there's nothing else you can do. Your duty is to communicate the message. Communicate the truth in the best way. What if they believe? What if they don't believe? This is the other verses of the Quran. That if you do good, you're doing good for yourself. Ah, that's it. The other person benefits, good for them. The other person does not benefit, tough luck, for them. On my side, I benefited. Full benefit, because I'm worried about myself. Again, does this mean that you are selfish? No. It means that you understand things at a very deep existential level. This is the purpose of your creation in this world. Okay? That's, that's the first layer of the answer. The second layer of the answer, and this is the part that I said is a much bigger topic, and it wasn't the time for it, but the much bigger topic is that whether you exactly like the imam is saying, you are not an entity that lives by itself in a vacuum disconnected from every other entity. You are going to have children and you are going to have parents and you are going to have brothers and you are going to have a community and you are all going to be one. So as much as you want to say that I'm disconnected and I'm only worried about myself, we've repeated this theme throughout that the Quran that the teachings of Islam are as they are individual, as important as it is to focus on yourself as an individual, you are part of a collective. In fact, you are part of many, many circles of collectives. One part of it is the direct family, blood relations that you have. Your direct family, your indirect family, that's all part of وَجَعَلَ مِنْهُ نَسَبًا وَصِحْرًا Right? There are blood relations. You're stuck with those. God created them. And God created other ties that only are become reality because of your marriage. Right? Your sihr. All of that is recognized. That's part of the community that you have. You are part of a community of believers. How many ahadith do we have about the community? You are one. So the, the true or by default philosophical position you are all alone. You are one entity. But the truth is in this world, you are not one in a vacuum. You are connected. And in fact, you cannot be as good as you could potentially be without all that collective support. Your chances of being good are much better if those who are part of your immediate family are also good. And your extended family, and your community, and your society... This multiplies your ability, your potential to be good. That's the whole point of the social dimension of our religion. How much more good could there be if instead of talking about individuals who are good, we have communities who are good. We have nations that are good. Which means that you can't just disconnect and say, I'm all alone. So the philosophical, very philosophical level, you say, I'm just an entity that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created. And my point is myself. But if I want to take full care of myself in this world, it means that I have to look at all those other relationships. So what the imam is saying in this case to a son, he's going to say to the rest of the family members, he would say the same thing to a whole community, as we have many imams who said to the community, 
right? You are all one. Or the Holy Prophet who says, all the brothers, all the Muslims are like one body. If one part of the body becomes feverish, then the entire body feels ill and comes to the rescue of that feverish part. How many hadith have we learned like this? What does it mean? It means that you can't just disconnect and say, but I'm, I only care about myself. But at a certain level, because of what we're talking about, you have to start with yourself. You have no ability to train. You have no ability to influence. You have no ability to guide, to teach, to educate, unless you start with yourself. Your main preoccupation is yourself. And if you do that right, everything else starts to fall in place. That's kind of a, I think, a complete answer for now. It's a really big topic. This, inshallah, this gives the, the elements of an answer. Other questions? Wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi tayyibin al-tahirin.